and your spells and your witchcraft. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? A real house-haunting, broom-riding, cauldron-stirring witch. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Bitchcraft, spirituality for shitty people. On this week's episode, I am talking about a very requested topic, which is the narcissist-empath dynamic and how it kind of plays out within all of us. We are in Mercury retrograde. Mercury is retrograding through the sign of Libra. The sun just entered Libra. Libra is all about balance and harmony and relationships. But with Mercury retrograding through the sign of Libra, we can have communication issues, unresolution within relationship dynamics get brought up. We get the text from the ex, old flames reappearing, misunderstandings. So just remember to try and remain patient and pause before speaking. Although this is the season, For relationships, it is ill-advised to get into a relationship when Mercury is retrograding through Libra. Um, This month, the sun is moving pretty close to Mars, which is the planet of war and how we fuck and how we fight. So there's kind of a sense of um, ambition and motivation, particularly during the first two weeks of October. And then Pluto squares shit-stirring dwarf planet I love saying that shit-stirring dwarf planet Eris which is about female resentment and female rage um so I'm gonna go ahead and assume that there's probably gonna be some collective discussion around women's issues women's rights um probably during the first two weeks of October The last time Pluto and Eris were interacting was during the Women's March, and before that, I think it was the first Me Too movement. So we're kind of sensing similar themes here, and I think uh, with what's happening in Texas um, could be related to abortion. We have a new moon on the 6th, promising prosperity in relationships. In the sign of Libra, I feel like Libra teaches us that the outer world is a reflection of the inner state. And if you can go inside and somehow find some semblance of harmony, some semblance of peace, eventually it will make its way out to the external. So Libra, in essence, is not necessarily solely focused on relationships, although I would say it is the sign of codependency. (laughs) A lot of Libras are, are codependent. Um, but it's kind of about finding that synchronicity between the inner landscape and the outer one. And sometimes, um, you know, restoring balance in Virgo season, we're all about martyrdom and health and self-improvement and in Libra, we're kind of trying to find, you know, balance, equilibrium. With Mars transiting with the sun, although Libra is associated with harmony and peace, the placements of this particular Libra season with Mercury retrograding too are more about maybe finding balance 
for things that have already happened. Like I think Mercury retrograde, we reflect on old things. We don't necessarily get a lot of new things. So it's almost like there's something that needs to be revisited. There's a conflict that needs to be, you know, um, you know, rehashed or examined. I feel like this is a time to restore peace where we have unresolved issues with people. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest, Elle, who is a dear, dear friend, an incredible artist. I spoke to him underneath my willow tree on the hike. Um, We were in the middle of the Hollywood Hills, right underneath the Hollywood sign, there's a giant willow tree, which is where, next to Madonna's old house and I go and I visit this tree every day and we recorded the podcast by this tree at night it was completely dark there were coyotes (laughs) running around us I think there is audio of of the coyotes Um, there are some ambient sounds coming from this interview Uh, helicopters crickets frogs, coyotes, um, this is the real deal, so um, buckle in. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode four of Bitchcraft. I'm here with my best friend, alchemist, artist, co-founder of Astral Oracles, genius space brother, (laughs) sorcerer, uh, L. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited. Um, You were a really astronomical part of my awakening journey. I feel like we went through um, a lot of stuff in 2016. Um, Do you want to kind of unpack some of what that looked like and felt like? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was... uh, Yeah, we met at the end of my Saturn return yeah (laughs) my whole life was uh yeah pretty pretty chaotic and uh broke up with a longtime partner and uh lost my job had like twenty dollars but also had like not really done much healing work and everything and uh so yeah, I would say it was one of the darkest times of my life for sure, and it was like preceded my like first really big awakening, which I definitely credit with like our friendship and our other friends and experiences we were having. And, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, or for me, like the biggest like shift, and as you know, you know, sometimes shifts are smaller, you don't really notice them but sometimes it feels like a huge all the curtains are pulled back and everything becomes clear and that happened to me on that trip that we went to in Sedona that was pretty quick after we started hanging out because yeah Naomi had moved to Berlin and so we went out to Palm Springs to do those readings at the Ace Hotel that was really wild we saw the Pleiades open up as a vortex and we saw the Pleiades open up and vibrate, and this was the first time I'd ever kind of been prompted or encouraged to do readings by L. And I think it was my first 
real experience of doing readings and feeling like, okay, this is something I definitely should be doing. It felt like information just kind of dropped from the heavens. And I think that night we were all sitting in the backyard and we saw these stars split open and come back together. And the next day you very wisely went out with your, uh, (laughs) your app, your star tracker. And you were like, that was the Pleiades. And, um, thus kind of began this journey I think which then took us to Sedona for those of you who don't know Sedona is in Arizona it's kind of the mecca of the new age it feels a little bit like the Disneyland of the new age like I'm a a bit skeptical of all of it because it feels kind of artificial like Disneyland like there's a chakra shop and an aura shop and some of the crystals are made of glass and it's kind of hard to find some like real indigenous wisdom there but the rocks and sort of the energy definitely have this sort of potency and this this magnetism I've been there twice now and every time it feels like anything small gets amplified and blown up and made really big and um, it was in the Whole Foods parking lot of Arizona Sedona that um, a little old lady holding a briefcase walked over well large white bag yeah large she's wearing all white yeah white woman yeah very short very short but kind of a youthful expression like strangely youthful expression yeah and she hobbled over and this was at night it It was was like 10 or 11 or something yeah and she asked for a ride to the Denny's which was 45 minutes away versus the gas station oh really she was like if you give 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 me a ride to the gas station I'll give y'all a a free stargazing tour we're like yeah i was like really? yes trust the stranger <laughs> proceed we're, on the quest yeah but we're like no Both not good enough like, and then she's like all right if you take me to the denny's then i'll give you a stargazing tour and a vortex tour we're like all right deal so she but it was me and another guy and then you so we felt safe it was fun so she gets in the car and she's like I'll take you to the stargazing tour right now. So she's like, go this way, turn right, turn left. And, um, well, first we checked in the hotel. And when we checked in the hotel, she was doing something. Yeah, the, the boys were in the hotel. And she put her hands on my shoulders. And she said, you're a healer. I, I'm here to initiate you to my mystery school. And I'm part of the great white brotherhood and sisterhood of ascended masters of light. We have space brothers and sisters and ascended masters, Jesus Christ. And she was kind of repeating this very very carefully worded paragraph in a semi-robotic tone. And it kind of freaked me out. But at this point, I'd just given my first reading. I realized that I had this, like, you know, pull towards doing this, this sort of psychic work. And so I was, you know, just kind of in awe. Um... And the boys came back in the car, and she starts directing us towards somewhere called the Enchantment Resort to look at the stars. And we're both thinking, we weren't saying it, but like, fuck, is this... Like a CIA. Is she CIA? Is she going to, like, kidnap us? Like, what? It was weird. And then... There was a weird energy around it, for sure. But then we're asking her questions, like, well, what? Do you see aliens out here? Do you see UFOs? Like, what? And she's like, yeah, yeah, the space brothers and sisters. And And then reciting the same paragraph. But then all of a sudden, she had her normal voice, and then she's like, and Jesus Christ is the master, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. Like, in this really robot thing, like, like she was totally possessed by this energy. It was very strange. But she took us to the 
tour. It was awesome. We saw a bunch of UFOs, for sure. Yeah, it was crazy. They were not drones. They were not balloons. They were not. They were lights moving around in ways that none of those things can move around. Yeah. For sure. And then yeah. we went back. We took her to the Denny's, and then she did this meditation, and she was saying like, "Pull down the golden light and see the light." And I couldn't pull it down. So I was going through this dark moment, and I was like, "Fuck! Like, why can't I pull this down?" I was just crying in the back seat, and uh, that was kind of weird. But I also was kind of resisting her energy. It like was kind of strange. But and then we went back to the hotel and then we decided to go back up to the star gazing thing and that was cool and we were really drunk <laughs> got very drunk underneath the stars maybe took some other drugs maybe not and then <laughs> the next morning it all like became clear like I, it was like this veil was lifted off my consciousness and I saw my whole life flash before my eyes like and I saw like all the toxicity and the shit that I've dealt with and the things that I do and like how I can overcome that and like just the, the shit that I've carried around and like all the programming and everything and I won't get into all the details but it was like it was so clear and I've never um never lost that that was like the first major shift and then we're driving to Vegas and we went by a river and did a ritual for the woman that was dying and but I did another ritual there and then further and further felt this like lightness that I again have never lost it was so profound yeah that really was the kickoff point for for me as well and then there was another iteration of this group when we were invited to Napa Valley. Which we talked about on our only other podcast. We did our separate podcast. Yeah, but for my listeners, we were basically invited to this retreat that we didn't really know was a retreat. And we get there, and the person hosting it, his wife, looks eerily similar to the hitchhiker from Sedona. Yeah. It was very bizarre. And he's it was using like, the same language. He was using the same language, talking about the same group. And it was a little bit jarring. Um, you know, at one point they were doing auric combing exercises, and we were put in paired, and I was put with this woman who started to sort of comb my aura, and she was sort of claiming to be taking out entities and doing all of this stuff. And she said, okay, your sister's hanging out in your crown chakra. Do you mind if we remove her? You have a coil of crowns on your head. Do you mind if we remove that? I'm still very sort of new to this stuff. So I was like, okay, yeah, do your thing. And we go outside. Um, Elle and I are on a smoke break. The only two smokers in the whole spiritual retreat. And I get a call from my sister and she's like, I feel like my whole body has arthritis. I think I'm going to go to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. I feel so ill and at that point I was like something's kind of off here and this guy who was running the retreat starts talking about how he used to work with the Obama administration how he used to lower their vibration 
um, in order to help them travel to lower density places, how there's orgy dimensions, kind of making it quite sort of nuanced and political in a way that I was like, yeah, this man is fucking lying. But then he was saying he was like consulting the administration on how to deal with other nations that were of lower vibrations and like very racist ways is fucked up. Yeah, it was so like, how do we deal? So they were doing energy work in like a um, aggressive way, but yeah. uh, yeah, um, but yeah, and then remember, and then we went back, we were kind of worried we were being followed because we were seeing like drones at the park and shit, and because they're pre- this the CIA was involved in this operation, yeah, the people, the people who were hosting this event had ties to uh, like the Department of National Security during the the legit CIA stuff yeah. too so we were kind of worried about that whatever and then we went we were like in Laurel Canyon or something near some place that we do we were used to do uh, rituals at and then there was one of those like take a book leave a book things and we looked at it and it was all this new age shit and there was one that was like uh, it was a uh, what's his name Benjamin Cream who declared himself the Maitra and whatever and we're like what the fuck is this and so reading that it was all the same language of these people and we're trying to figure out what's going on and then it said talked about the seven rays and we're like we gotta go to the end of the seven rays <laughs> the answers will be at the end of the seven rays so we go to the end of the seven rays and they have that awesome but creepy bookshop and we're looking around it was all the same like very white new age like weird like things and but they had yeah great white brotherhood shit which the theosophists prophesied of and it's a really fucked up cosmology maybe you don't want to get that into it but yeah well i mean lo and behold i end up moving to scotland to kind of because at, at that point i was just feeling a little bit overwhelmed um and kind of ready to to go and connect to my ancestry and my roots so at that point we went to scotland and it wasn't until this year um, that I decided I was ready to do shamanic and ancestral healing and clearing. And I work with these two shamans. Their names are Grace, the man Grace, and Persia. And basically what you have to do is leave a voice note, leave them a voicemail and be like, hey, I give you permission to track my body on the astral plane. Um, you know, and then they track your your energy body based on the and a, like the the sound of your voice and they tell you what's going on with you and they call me and they're like listen we don't see this very often but were you involved in any cults was there any sort of black magic from your mom's lineage and I was like what are you no way I could completely spaced on this whole kind of excursion that we had been on and they were like listen we're sensing that there's something in your bloodline that needs to be transmuted and there's you know we can't fully do this work so then they had to refer me to this indigenous elder called jade gregory who did um work specifically with victims of black magic and cults and he sits me down and he's like you know wearing this beautiful incredible get up and he's got like hawk feathers and he's got like his drum and he said to me this is all over zoom in the middle of the pandemic and I I ask him I'm like I don't know where all of this is coming from like my mom doesn't seem to remember anything you know and my grandmother she lost both of her parents when she was 19 so I don't have much information and he was like have you ever heard of a group called the great white brotherhood 
And at that point, I just kind of dropped into my body. I was just shocked. And he basically told me that um, I was a descendant of some type of blood lineage, some type of bloodline that was involved in this group. And what they do is they trace the great-granddaughter or great-grandson because it can skip a couple generations. And then what they'll try and do is recruit that person. Um, And if they fail, they still try to sort of siphon their energy. And he kind of alluded to it being some, you know, linked to some cataclysm with uh, that meteor Maladet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Some type of Mars Anunnaki cataclysm, some type of insanity. Some Gnostic things? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, that was kind of when it, it started to set in with me. And I consulted my parents about it. And before I was born, my mom was pregnant with another baby. And... um it was right after she got pregnant that my dad had a manic episode slash awakening and was convinced that my mom's side of the family were basically um, satanic and in a dark magic cult and were going to kill this baby that my mom was about to have. And my mom, who was so traumatized, miscarried, and my dad ended up going and checking himself into a psych ward so it kind of like brought it full circle and I think for my dad it was kind of validating because I think that what maybe he was experiencing was like a shamanic experience as his sort of like cosmic fiber melded and mingled with my mother's and um later on I found out that that my grandma my great grandmother was kind of a part of some of these these groups so yeah it's been it's come full circle in that sense some of this some of this stuff but it's intense I think it definitely has felt like living in some sort of conspiracy or living in in some type of movie I don't know how you feel Elle about it um I definitely feel like my life is a beautiful film that like <laughs> I could never make up that's like more beautiful and awesome and than any movie I've ever seen and I'm full of gratitude for that like all the just moments of transcendence and magic and weird things and it's um you just can't make it up and you can't make it up you cannot make it up it's like shit that like they wish yeah that's why I get bored with like a cult cinema and like magic cinema because they never get it on point it's very rare whenever I describe our relationship or even if I'm talking to like a client about co-creating reality in relationships I always explain like with Elle whenever I leave or go anywhere with Elle because his worldview is so expansive because he has like a magical way of thinking bizarre and miraculous things happen in our friendship to us that are just indescribable, like very difficult to explain. And they don't happen with most other people. And I think that's because you've broken down so much programming, you know, like you really have this, this unified way of viewing reality that's quite spectacular and, and magical. And it's also just like believing what you see and being open yeah. to things. And like, I think a lot of people like 
it gets it can be a slippery slope because people get really into synchronicities and then but a lot of that can get programmed into like material manifestations it's like oh my god i just saw 11 11 my crush just texted me and oh it means we're gonna be we're twin flames or some shit you know and maybe that's true but do, do you think that that's maybe like the early stage of awakening and then it kind of moves on to like, okay, you have all of these like crazy synchronicities, these magical experiences, you start to understand that your words are creating reality, you know, that your thoughts are creating reality and now have a toxic relationship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is like there are stages and that's why I have no judgment with like anyone that does any kind of magic, even if they're casting love spells or like job spells or money spells or whatever and I've done that I don't do it anymore but it's like that's a part of that process of like further awakening and and seeing your power and then a huge part of that is realizing that all right I got this thing it's temporary or I don't know maybe it partially fulfills you but I think the trap of this 3d world is that nothing individually can materially fulfill us but it's like everything and it's internal and it's external so but yeah that's a trap of like material magic is that people think oh i'll get this dream home this dream job this dream lover and then i'll be happy forever and it's just not how it works like how it works is you can be happy forever always once you see that and if you do the inner work and then everything Becomes that a comes reflection. and goes, be, it builds on that. And I'm not saying material things are bad, they're not. It's a, that's why we're here. We're in these 3D bodies. Everything's awesome, but it's both those things together. And again, it's like the promise of a future state and not being fulfilled until you obtain or achieve a thing. That's the trap, and that's the trap well, that's of the, the un- That's the unhealed masculine, which is, I think, another big topic that I wanted to tackle with you today because it feels like such a pertinent theme I think that there is the divine feminine which is the non-physical the subconscious what you can't see what you're experiencing what you can't feel what you can feel like the high priestess tarot card yeah the high priestess it's the internal world it's your internal landscape it's your internal hemisphere it's it's how you are sort of feeling and and intuiting and the external world is just a hologram. It's just a kind of rendition of that that we're experiencing in the physical, but it, it isn't the whole picture. The same with the, how the subconscious is re- sort of 98% of, of um, the brain is subconscious. You know, and we also have two-strand DNA. One strand is mammalian, which is, you know, can I care for this? You know, it, will this nourish me? Um, it's sort of like nur- the nurturing principle. And then the other strand is reptilian, which is, uh, can I fuck this? <laughs> can I feed on this? Um, will can this I help? This? Can, can I, I yeah. yeah. Will yeah. this help me survive? Not that like masculinity is inherently all of those things, but I think that um, the unhealed masculine is kind of like, it's like the cortisol of trauma. It's that fight or flight response, but it's also what we now kind of dub toxic masculinity it lives within all of us it's the part of us that is a seeking a transactional experience in order to silence the inner condition so it could be experienced throughout through doing anything like i don't feel good right now i'm in pain i'm going to do yoga 
or I'm going to drink four yerba mates, <laughs> you know, anytime we're looking for something externally to silence the inner condition, we are in the unhealed masculine wound. And this lives in all of us within a spectrum that I think is empathy and narcissism. But that, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm glad you're saying it's within all, all of us. I know we're going to get into this more, but I've seen it in a lot of women yeah. this past year and well, my whole life. But this toxicity is really coming to a head. And just in the past, the past year, but the past couple months, I'm, I'm so really heavy. like, I'm really concerned. I'm trying to do everything I can, but I've had several friends that have gone to the hospital out of like physical and sexual assault and a lot of other friends that have almost been there and it's mostly from men but some of it's from women like men that have been attacked by women too and I know I've shared some of my experiences with women also like a lot of verbal stuff and uh but it's some yet that and and that I would say I was talking to a friend who I yeah, we have super expansive conversations. They're very magical, too. We've done a lot of magic stuff together. And uh, we talk about all kinds of things, but they were saying that they've always been assaulted their whole life because they're, they're a woman, and, like sexually assaulted in different ways. But I asked her if this past year, if like she sees she's seen more of it, because I'm seeing a lot more of it in my personal life. Like, people I actually know, not just shit on, you know, social media or whatever, which is all insanity, but... And she said, yeah, it's, like, ten times as bad, or it's just worse than any time in her whole life. So there's something going on, and people are like, oh, it's post-COVID. No. Whatever, but I don't know. I mean, here's, here's what I have understood through doing, like, shamanic healing work. Before the age of three, we're in a unified field with everything going on around us, meaning that we're identifying all of the trauma around us as us. So like daddy's rage, mommy's neglect becomes us. And then what happens in adulthood, because what happens is that three-year-old self can kind of get exalted or fragmented in instances of trauma, what happens in adulthood is we're drawn to people who will reenact that core wounding because there's a part of us that thinks okay this time I'll get it right this time I'll get this you know narcissistic person to turn around and stop neglecting me or I'll get this you know person to stop being so angry and because of what the nature of this lifetime which I do believe we're meant to heal some of this generational trauma we're meant to learn like unconditional love really here now in this lifetime that's what we came here to do we're heart warriors that's truly what I believe we came here to do what has to happen is it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better like this is things are kind of speeding up where we're seeing these reenactments in real time and the problem is is that it's very difficult to unhook from those toxic dynamics particularly with the unhealed masculine or the narcissistic wound as they say in, in psychology if you um haven't reacquainted yourself with the pain inside of you yeah i know and that's and that's i've done it 
I'm doing more now, it's like gets more granular the deeper you go, where you just kind of notice. I'm working on like more non-attachment and some other things now. But um, that time period we were talking about, I had to really just sit with it. And the Taoists say that like to get to the Taoist heaven, to the Jade Palace, there's no judgment. It's not about being good or bad, like your deeds aren't judged, but you have to go through the center, which is the void of yourself. Yeah. It's the only way to get to the gate, yeah. is like through that dark. And it, not that it's bad shit, but you have to really... Commit to feeling commit the pain. Commit to going through, or in the pain, the pleasure, everything to really seeing yourself, and that's the way to get to the paradisiclical state. And um, I know that. For sure you can't although i would say out of all my studies and my experiences and my personal experiences and all the people i've worked with and worked with you the people i work with individually and all the things i've learned um there's many types of of getting beyond our the karma and the our patterns, our programming, and some people it just happens to you spontaneously. Some people have to do a ton of work, whatever. So it doesn't mean it's like hard. It can be hard. A lot of the times it is, but I don't, I think there's this like message in the current new age that it's like never ending. It's a super hard work. You got to give us your money forever. There's always more trauma to, to clear out, you know, and you'll never be good enough. You'll never get there. And I think the ultimate thing is like, being able to sit in enough stillness and to see yourself and sit through that stuff like you're saying it's like just opening your eyes and putting all that down yeah and it's not that that'll ever go away or the healing doesn't mean you clear it and it's not there anymore because it's still there but you're able to coexist with that and not let it overcome you yeah yeah i mean one of the things that I found really helpful was Matt, Matt Kahn talks at great lengths about sort of this idea that highly empathic souls often get in relationships with people who are narcissistic. It's like yeah, and one, of, one of God's that. little jokes. We both have. We both yeah. have. And um, one of the things he points out is that both parties are on an awakening journey, but the highly empathic soul is to wake up out of unworthiness so if somebody is consistently mirroring to you an inner sense of unworthiness your job is to move away whereas the more unhealed masculine slash narcissistic person is there to wake up to the idea that other people also exist yeah. So these two awakenings, it's like they're two different frequencies, they're two different language. If somebody is on a perpetual pain path where they are addicted to pain and they're kind of siphoning that empath's energy to sort of... But empaths are addicted to the pain too because yeah. they keep going back to the, the yeah. traumatic person and taking the abuse, you know? It's definitely and I, true. I really, I'm glad you just said this because that's what I continually do and what I've had to do is look in the mirror because it's easy to point a finger at a abuser or someone who's really toxic and and say oh that's not you know acceptable and they're wrong and they are 
but like what are we doing to contribute to that or how do we allow that and what like you said like what approval do we need or where are the other half of that I'm not yeah, saying we're to yeah. blame I mean, for abuse I definitely that's never think excusable that, that, but. that we have to also allow room for like the, the sort of like if if the vibration of abuse was put into your body before you had a choice like at the age of three if you're going to be somebody who's energetically looking for somebody who's going to act as a pain piece it's almost like externalizing this painful story that you attract in the body of another person um the only way that i have learned to treat that malady because it can feel like an addiction it can feel like uh, if I just get this person to to see me and to hear me and to love me, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be I'll be safe, you know. Because I yeah. didn't, you know, get the love that I needed in in childhood. Not because my parents weren't beautiful, incredible people, but they were they. None of our parents knew how to love. None of our parents knew what unconditional, self-sustaining, sovereign love was. Everybody is taught to seek and source love from something outside of themselves, and that is the unhealed masculine wound. It's where we're looking for something externally to fulfill an inner sense of void. So even empaths are doing that, but they're just doing exactly. it, you know, Through flipped. needing the toxic person, person to affirm their yeah, pain. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like trying to correct that or try, hoping that they can find true love or receive that love through... Because I think as an empath, you know, you see... The divinity. The, the divinity with everyone. You see the good side and you kind of put your blinders on the shitty part. So you kind of ignore the red flags. And the truth is we all, everyone is divine. Everyone is God. And you can see that really clearly. So that's why you, you know, allow for that. And especially as like a healer, like you and I are in the healer zone and uh, working with, I don't really identify as that because I, or whatever, I, I, I do that, but I just question the whole healing paradigm and the way I was talking about the new age, so, um, but I guide people for sure, often, and, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, you, you see it's like you want to heal them and you see their potential. I'm saying I can see that. I know that you've seen that yeah. as you've expressed things. Is like we know exactly what people need to do. We can see the potential for them to not heal. Me not to, to mention like the psychic connection that can kind of... There's a coyote above us. Oh. Not to mention the psychic connection <clears throat> that can kind of loop you energetically into somebody's inner drama. You know, like, oftentimes there, you know, we can, we become corded with sexual partners, you know, highly empathic people pick up on the thought forms of, sec you know, sexual partners, highly intuitive people, you know, can really merge in an unfathomable way with, with people. And I think that sometimes when you're dealing with, um, narcissistic abuse in particular it can feel like you're in a hall of mirrors with this person where everything they accuse you of is really a mission of their own guilt and so it can you know take a tremendous amount of self-control to try and detach and rewire your sort of neural pathways well and then there's the at least in my experience i think there is there's the realization and you can have an awakening to all this you can see it so clearly which yeah. I, that was a part of what I was describing in Sedona, that was phase one. 
but then I had to, I've gone deeper and deeper into that and cleared out a lot of toxicity in my life, but it's still <laughs> shown up in different yeah. ways. And, yeah, because um, we're not concepts. We're kind of like multifaceted but, beings. But, and, and just because you know the right thing to do doesn't necessarily make you wrong for not being able to do it. I mean, I think well, sometimes there's a divine orchestration to, to these events, and sometimes we have to keep revisiting old patterns until, you know, time working like a spiral where you come back and you, you reel back and you have these deeper understandings and deeper realizations. And that's the key of, like, you know, in, like, Western alchemy, but also, like, in Buddhism and, like, enlightenment is, like, you can know and you can really understand you can have that awareness and that state of transcendence, but then you have to integrate it. It's all about integration. So you can fully understand everything and be have full clarity of like, all right, this is what I do. This is how I'm attracted to toxic people. You can know that, but then you actually have to like integrate it. And that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing in our world and the matrix and everything is that we're dealing with so many forces every day that are keeping us away from that and it's hard like the buddha had a really hard time yeah after he achieved enlightenment and then went back into the world and it was really harsh and then it's like all right how do you apply that to a place that isn't in that state yeah and so for me like i've had these moments of realization but then and i know it so last year i did a ton of work on this I got even deeper into it. I saw all these patterns. I'm like, all right, I'm never going <laughs> to be with a toxic person again. And then it happened. And I'm like, fuck. But I caught it. I didn't let it go too far. I saw it. I was able to, the blunt, you know. And I, even if you're not, I don't think that that means there's, you know, that that you've done anything wrong so to speak you know I think that sometimes feeling guilty and ashamed can keep one in those cycles yeah you know I have a a lot of clients who've been going through this in the past year and oftentimes they come to me and they're like I know I shouldn't be doing this but I'm here and and sometimes it is out of out of real love you know it is out of real love and I think yeah when I was talking to my um the shaman about about my struggles with this they said to me before you came down here and i think this is true for all highly empathic intuitive souls before you come down here you're coming from a realm that has actualized and realized the concept of pure unconditional love so up there it's safe to be with somebody and energetically completely merge and swap all of your telepathic experiences in different lifetimes and have this like immersive sort of energetic play-doh colory sort of swampy stewy merging with somebody and then you can kind of detach because both of you know what unconditional love is down here you try and do that with somebody and sometimes that other person isn't ready to actualize that unconditional love and it can feel very difficult to unmerge you know it can feel really really trying to unmerge because you see there or at least i've seen people's god goddess state totally there and you know totally it's so hard to like 
not have compassion for them, but I think now it's, I just don't want to be that like aloof new age kind of thing where it's like, I only do, I only deal with what serves me. Like, fuck this, yeah, it doesn't yeah. serve me. I think it can get too aloof in that way and, and egotistical and like selfish, but, <laughs> but yeah. after some recent I release all that does not serve me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's just, it's very, yeah it's the energy of the way that's put forth but it's kind of true but I think that has to be done with like a lot of grace a lot of it's a it's a delicate dance to not take shit from people but still have compassion for them and I think too I used to really be like a people helper kind of pleaser person and I've worked on that a ton I'm definitely not as much as I used to be for sure but uh that um yeah I think like sorry I don't know where I'm going with that I'm losing my thoughts but it's related I just think like all of this is it's not that this these dynamics weren't always there weren't always, I think, working through generations of family trauma or curses or whatever you want to call it. I think that these dynamics have always been there, sort of codependency and avoidant attachment and narcissism. All of these things have always been there, but we're seeing them more because the nature of the timeline we're on is about more light and light is information. So although things may feel heavy or dark or intense, it's because the saturation is is amped up and we can just see more we can see more of our own trauma more of other people's trauma um and that's kind of how it i think it's meant to be right now um and it's i wanted to say earlier in a related way but like this ancestral healing or like this the stuff we carry down that's been put on us from all the generate not put on us but that's a part of us and yeah wondered about it's like when did it start I mean that's the Gnostic kind of thing is that you know out of the Garden of Eden then we were cursed to till the earth and deal with weeds and like we became you know that's the advent of civilization is like being afraid of our nakedness and having to provide for ourselves instead of everything being provided for us in the garden and that in a sense it really is that is the advent of civilization that's the beginning of property and war because we're like as soon as we set down ownership of land and built buildings then we own something and then the river dries up and then we fight over the river, but also men owned women and then like marriage and all that stuff. Like all, like our whole reality is built on transactions, possessions, transactions, owning each other, fucking each other. Which comes from the distrust that you can rely on your own sovereign love light to sustain yourself. And I think like for me, it comes back to I will, I am committed to feeling my own pain. I'm because com- if I am committed to feeling my own pain and my own heartbreak and my own sensitivity and I'm committed to witnessing whatever I'm going through and being my own pure witness, then I'm connecting with that inner child and therefore I do not need to consistently be reenacting circumstances in which I, I am not getting what I need, which is what happens in, in these dynamics, you know. 
But Elle and I are planning on um, doing a roundtable workshop on sort of the, the different methods that we both use to untangle from these dynamics, you know, including but not limited to um, shamanic soul fragment retrieval, um, cord cutting, um, psychic defense. Um, <laughs> so elaborate in order to Stealing shield me the, from a narcissist. Healing the past child. I've actually been doing a lot of spells and things to protect um, those that are close to me because of the stuff I was talking about. And, um, and also just like facilitating a dialogue about sort of the magical nuances that isn't so psychological or like an Instagram bot being like, these are the do's and don'ts. If you're, you know, this is what makes somebody a narcissist. What makes somebody a narcissist is, you know, they're also in pain. You know, it's just a different form of pain. But I do want to say this narcissist empath thing, because I somehow Instagram just decided it only shows me like esoteric shit and whatever but then I saw this like narcissist empath thing pop up like a year or two ago and I saw the trend go further and further and I think it is programming it's programming and it is sort of a psyop and there's like this it's so binary that it's like I'm the empath you're the narcissist and a lot of it's like about how the narcissist can never heal they'll never change and like so it's rooting us in these identities and these things and pitting us against each other and I think that can be the case in some cases like I don't know but I think that I just question things that become so popular like that where yeah it's run by an algorithm yeah I mean I think I think to go to take it back to kind of the unhealed masculine wound because then it lends to this like greater story that we're all subject to. I know that in dynamics or periods of my life, I was more of a narcissist. Than yeah, and we're all both, exactly, yeah. in a degree. But there are extreme situations, for sure. But I think that also gets back to... Yeah, like you're saying, this workshop, and we're talking about our individual like processes with this, and the alchemy and the healing and whatnot. And I am a believer even beyond this, what we're talking about, that the greatest thing we can do to heal the world is to heal ourselves. And if everybody did that, then right? Yeah, in because, theory, because I mean, that a, is what we, we need to come back to, which is the, instead the of like subconscious is running else. the show. If we're externalizing pain and we're caught up in the story of what's going wrong, we're forgetting that the subconscious is the root of the simulation of the pain. Even these people that we've elected to be avatars that carry and invoke our pain we've elected to have them as avatars that carry and invoke our pain you know yeah but I so it's almost like you just rather than think of them as the root cause be like okay this person is a mirror of something happening subconsciously it's a manifestation of an energy that you're entangled with that you have been your whole life probably that you have to sort that out and how to get outside of those patterns and those ways of receiving love and whatnot but what I was getting at too is like I think the first thing we do what everybody does is heals themselves so that's the the biggest way to break these patterns but we also should I've been thinking about like physical kind of autonomous vigilante like protection like cord cutting is really important 
No, also, no but I mean, like, we oh, need like to the, keep each other safe, too, because shit's crazy right now, and be aware and be there for each other, because it's pretty wild. The shit is out of control, so... People are getting possessed out here and in that, Los Angeles, California. The possession thing, too, which I realized years ago, but everything is a possession of an energy, right? Yeah. Unless you're, like, just completely centered and, like, kind of unattached or whatever, like, you're observing or whatever, but even love, it, I mean, I mean that in a romantic way and not, like, an omnidimensional, universal, cosmic, unconditional way, but... Because that's an attached to, like, any individual object, but even love is a possession. It, it can be a very good possession, but that's why it can get so crazy. Because you're stuck in that energy, you know, and you, you're in that tunnel. Yeah. Like, romantic love, especially in the Matrix, can really turn into a possession, but so can, yeah, like, abuse, anger, greed. Addiction. Fear, addiction. Like, they're all, like, when you're stuck in this field you know that is I mean because I believe and a lot of my friends that are all types of magical practitioners all around the world like we work or we have some Romani friends that are part of astral oracles and uh, in Romania and uh, a voodoo priest told me this too and there's a shaman I mean there's friends with a lot of people but they all say or they all say, I'm not saying this is how it is, but um, a lot of people that I know agree that entities are manifestations of an energy field. And then yeah. they appear, if you see one or, or you're calling on it or whatever, they're a manifested form of that field, you know? Or even disembodied parts of the shadow. Um, like in the holographic universe, apparently there's um, a sort of concept that like shadow figures and like demons and all these dark things are disembodied aspects of the self that show up in your physical reality because they've been so sort of disparaged from the ego sense of identity and so they're so far removed which I think is an interesting concept something I've been thinking about a lot but what's the like yeah I don't know, where do we go? I guess we keep figuring this out. Keep trudging. Yeah. Keep trudging through Libra season, the season of relationships that we're about to enter. Really? Yeah, Mercury. Mercury's retrograding. Oh, shit. <laughs> but Mercury gets way too much credit, right? You've said... I mean, I honestly think that, that it's totally a self-fulfilling prophecy when people are like, eh. Mercury is in retrograde. Yeah, um, Mercury retrograde in Libra is interesting because Libra is ruled by Venus. So I perceive it as, okay, if there's unfinished conversations that need to be had, unresolved conflict, um, unfinished business and relationships, those are going to kind of make... In passings, too? In passings, yeah. Like in old... Past, re uh, past, yeah. Things from the past coming, coming, fuck. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it's a good time to talk about this topic. So, um, Elle, do you have um, any platforms or things you want to share? Where, where can um, my listeners keep up with you? I do, but I'm hard to find. Um... I can also write it in my description. Okay, cool. We'll do that. Yeah, I'm kind of a... 
Yeah, well, we should share the Astral Oracle stuff on our site, and we're doing a... I'd say that we, we're building an outdoor temple up near Arrowhead in the forest. It's yes. not going to happen really soon, but we're working on it now. And we have a major, it's a lot of, some good features coming out and stuff like that, but we're doing, um, we're ramping up a lot of our activities and that would be cool to feature. And yeah, I'm doing some stuff too. We could um, point to my Akashic record interwebs <laughs> for sure. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, uh, well. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks oh my god, there's a coyote. Yeah, we're sitting by Oh my by god, the there's sun. literally a coyote. That's a fox. That's a fox? No, it's a coyote. Uh, Sorry, we've been recording this podcast and it is from... Good. Okay, it's staring right at us. We're by this tree, <laughs> this very magical tree. That... It's my, the willow tree I say my, my prayers to around the back side of Madonna's old house in Beechwood Canyon. Um, and yeah... Hence the crows and the footsteps and all of the background noise that only adds to the ambiance of this beautiful show. <laughs> I want to, I'll add one thing and then we'll go, but we've done that like shamanic drumming kind of universal thing, which like the Michael Harner thing, which is kind of problematic, but I don't think it is. It gets to like a synthesis of. Anyway, we don't need to unpack it fully, but I've done it, and, um... But the, the entity that appeared was that thing we just saw, like, this, uh, tiny coyote. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this animal that, like, has one. guided me. So. It's literally... Oh. <laughs> Whoa. There's another one. Now you've got a... You know, in the Navajo creation myth, the Earth was built by the trickster spirit, because coyotes symbolize magic. I don't know if you knew this. They're mm. the, the symbol of magic and the magician. And the raven. Yeah, ravens, crows. I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to New York to do a show next week, and I'm uh, blocking the possibility of the technological singularity. And, yeah, I'm using some uh, black feathers for the purpose of that. But That's yeah, interesting. Really... That's really interesting, because the, then um, the Morrigan, the Celtic goddess... Um, who's supposed to be able to shapeshift into a crow and a raven. She has this whole battle cry where she talks about, like, the phantom of the airwaves, which could be, like, the internet. Wow. And she, like, goes after... Like, her whole job, the Morgan, was to knock um, kings off of their stances of power through verbal magic and through oration. So she would come... If somebody was not treating the land correctly taking care of the earth she would appear to this like king and she would go off on this sort of like long very cleverly worded poem and one of the things that she summons is a flock of ravens to defeat the phantoms of the airwaves which i've always thought about as like wait can we um summon all the ravens to tear down the 5g tower yeah (laughs) (laughs) i've heard they've already been doing that also the singularity fuck that we were talking about it earlier now we're talking way too long but um yeah thanks everyone for listening to this and thanks for having me on this of course i love you i'm sure this will be the first of many all right thank you thank you good night thank you so much for listening 
we will be back in two weeks with more bitchcraft. <laughs>